Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat, a show where I interview business executives, talent development professionals, and thought leaders to find out what has been successful and challenging in the world of talent development. My objective is to share ideas, valuable lessons, tools, advice, and trends. My hope is that all of this will ultimately help you, the listener, expand your knowledge, grow your career, and accelerate your success as a talent development professional. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am so grateful you're joining me today for an interview with my new friend, Travis Domert. And Travis is the Senior Vice President of Learning and Development at Jackson Healthcare, a three-time number one best place to work in Atlanta, company among large employers and best workplace for millennials, according to Fortune Magazine. Prior to Jackson, Travis was president of I Run, I Run, a performance and accountability platform that leveraged lessons from the elite soldiers and athletes to help leaders build high-performing teams. And Travis is a graduate of Northwestern University and Emory University, where he got his MBA, and he resides in Atlanta with his wife and five children. Travis, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks a lot, Andy. Great to be with you. You have accomplished a lot of great things. You're in a very senior role at a cool company, but as someone with only two children, the thing I'm most impressed with is the fact that you have five. That's amazing. <laughs> and it's not for the faint of heart. I tell you, that wasn't maybe the plan going into it. But as you know, whether you have one child or multiple, gosh, it changes your life in ways you can't imagine. And I tell you, there's something else that tell anybody whose lives are really, really full. Mm. You, you can't imagine how you're going to work it in. But try to imagine doubling the amount of love in your life. I tell you, that's probably yeah. the biggest thing that's blown me away having kids. It, you don't know how you're going to fit it in, but your life is richer for it. So, oh, I bet. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned like the busy thing too, because, or, you know, the time, because we always find a way to fit in the things that we need to do if they're a priority, right? Whether it's kids or work or whatever it is. And I, some reason that reminded me of a conversation at a wedding many years ago when somebody I met had just had triplets or something like that. And I, <laughs> and I was like, how do you handle that? That must be like crazy. And he said something I never forget. He's like, are you pretty busy? I'm like, yeah, I feel like I'm pretty busy. He's like, yeah, everybody is. You know, you just fit it in, whatever it is, your priorities. I'm like, okay, right, cool. <laughs> I tell you, key strategic move, stay married. Uh, you know, if you can, love on your spouse like crazy. And I really do have a heart for this because I can't imagine going through it alone. That's oh. something that is really tough for so many people coming to work and trying to balance all of that on their own plate is really hard to imagine without a strong partner. 
I love it. All right, stay married. This is the kind of advice you don't get on other talent development podcasts. You know, this is <laughs> that's right. We may go in all new, all new territory today. That's right. Well, speaking of talent development, you are SVP of L and D at Jackson Healthcare, but you don't come from a traditional talent development or L and D background. You came from operations, or where did you come from, and how did you end up in this role? Wow, you know, I don't run into a lot of mechanical engineers in my job. I don't run into a lot of former IT consultants, and I don't run into a lot of people who have run small companies. That was kind of my background. Hmm. But I just, you know, I went from younger years of trying to figure out what I want to do with my life and thinking, you know, I really like understanding how things work, which led me down an engineering path to discovering that any successful enterprise of any kind, whether it's a business or a nonprofit or whatever, they have figured out how people work. And I did not realize how fundamentally clueless I was until I got into the staffing industry and started having some clients point me in the direction of understanding some basic psychology. And I just found it fascinating. So the more I got into it, the more I wanted, the more I, you know, led me ultimately to sort of turn my life over to saying, this is the most rewarding part of any job or any company I've ever had. And how can I do more of it? And ultimately, the opportunity came up to do it full time. And you know, honestly, you have to question a little bit, is this a good career move to go from running a company to working in a corporate job? Yeah. And that's where ultimately I, I said, gosh, I'm trying to figure out my own purpose. And I, I think all the signs are saying this is part of it. So forget the title, forget the organizational structure. Where can I go do this with every hour of my day? Yeah, that's amazing. And you do have a very unique background, you know, coming from engineering, running a company, and now getting into psychology and human performance and working in L&D. You know, I've interviewed people all kinds of different backgrounds. I don't think I've come across any learning leaders who came from engineering, you know, and the joke there might be about a lot of engineers not even being, you know, people oriented. (laughs) So uh, obviously, you're an anomaly. And that makes a difference. So what are some like big things that have helped you coming from the world of engineering moving into this type of role? Well, I'm trying to think of a single transferable skill, you know, (laughs) nothing else, curiosity, you know, trying to understand how do things work was the probably the most fundamental building block. And then I know you often ask guests, you know, about a book or, you know, a TED talk or something that's been influential for them. I had a client recommend reading First Break All the Rules by Marcus Buckingham. Yeah. And that was the thing that like flipped a trigger for me when I realized, wow, people are fundamentally unique. They are actually truly different from each other. It's not that, you know, you haven't learned to be like me yet. It's that you are a perfect version of you. And, you know, I'm trying to learn how to become a a good version of me. And so that's probably the most relevant transferable skill is, you know, you take that curiosity on how things work and then you realize, wow, there's so much that we're just learning about how we work as people. And then you try to develop, you know, processes and methods to help people get to where they're trying to go. And so I'm probably a little more systematic than maybe, I don't know, the average uh, uh, psych major or IO psychologist or something, but that might be some engineering leftover, some halo effect. Yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. And I like what you said there about Marcus Buckingham breaking all the rules. And of course, in, yeah, people leaning into, you know, what they're doing, understanding that they don't have to be the exact same as everybody else. And what I was thinking of was there are a lot of managers out there who are probably trying to get their people to be just like them. You're not a perfect version of me yet. And therefore, you know, my expectations are not being met because you're not turning into me instead of recognizing that the people who report to them might have very different skills and strengths that they could leverage if they would just look to take advantage of those instead of trying to make a mini me. 
Right. And I'll tell you, I think there's two subconscious things that would work against somebody. One is they may be trying to do that even if they say they aren't. Because a lot of people, I think, are at least schooled enough to intellectually know that a diverse team is stronger than a homogeneous team because of the strengths movement. You know, I think it's gotten some pretty good press for good reason. But I think the other thing is a lot of people don't really know what it's like to be them. I think we're awful at diagnosing our own skills and talents. And so if that's what they actually got, they would probably be mortified. Like, you know, gosh, why don't you listen better? And, and why don't you take direction better? Well, because I'm like you, you know? And, and so let's be thankful we don't get a team full of mini-me's. But you do have to do that on purpose because I think we may do it subconsciously, even when we don't want to, and then we may not be happy with the results. Yeah, that's interesting that you brought that up because I, I've talked about this a lot. People are not, in general, not aware of their strengths and weaknesses. We need that feedback and coaching from other people. I've done a lot of work to become very aware of my own strengths and my weaknesses and try to spend most of my time taking advantage of those strengths, glaring holes. And I am so glad I don't have reporting to me because I would get really frustrated with my ability to meet those expectations. I need people around me who are more detail-oriented, you know, who can get things done because that's not my strength, right? We, I need want someone who can compliment me, not be the same as me. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you're going to pull off a big event like the one behind you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Speaking of that, I'm hosting this conference later this year with my friend Bennett Phillips. And we have a perfect partnership, I think, because we complement each other really well. Because I'm like the you know stage marketing guy that likes to be out in front of everybody. He doesn't want to be that guy. And he's really good at details and logistics that I'm not good at. And so we are a really good team from that standpoint. And we're putting together this conference, the Talent Development Think Tank, that is going to be a pretty intimate experience. And you and I were talking just before we started recording about conferences and some of the conferences you've been to, the big, big events versus the intimate experience. And I wonder if you'd share that story that you shared with me about the events that you've been to. Yeah, I was telling you, I didn't like going to small conferences with only 100 people. No, yeah, right. not that. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. No, I was sharing that I went to a big industry conference a few years ago, and you would think more is better. You know, more vendors, more people, more sessions, more stuff to do. And I'll tell you, it was so overwhelming. I literally almost left. I walked in. I was immediately so overwhelmed. The program was like an inch thick and had no idea how do I take away something meaningful from this. It was just like, it was multiple fire hoses. Yeah, overwhelming. And I subsequently started going to a smaller industry conference and they capped it intentionally, you know, at a hundred clients and maybe up to a couple hundred vendors. It was intimate. I experienced this, by the way, also just total aside when I chose a smaller business school to go to. And I found out when I came out of uh, Emory's program where it's only a couple hundred people per class, I actually knew them all. And then I would meet my friends who are in enormous schools with, you know, 800 people. Mm -hmm. and they never dreamed they would get to know everybody. So they didn't even try and they would graduate and they'd be like, I know 50 people really well. And I think how ironic going to something smaller actually yielded a bigger network and a lot more learning. So from a relationship standpoint, I think the intimate conference concept is brilliant. And, you know, I would just challenge you, even with this thing being wildly successful, don't let it become something else, you know, because I think it will dilute it. Yeah, we are hyper-focused on quality and connection and networking. Those are the things, relationships that are so important to me. And so I want to keep it, you know, pretty small, at least for the first couple of years. So we'll probably have between 100 and 200 people there. And 
I, I want to know almost everybody that's going to be in the room and have that relationship with them. So that's the goal. And so far, we're, we're looking good to meet that. And that connects, by the way, with my vision and my purpose for what I want to do. And you are really big on unleashing the power of personal purpose at work, which I don't, I'm hearing more and more about, but maybe not enough these days in the corporate world. So tell me more about your philosophy on that. Sure. Well, ultimately, anything you choose to do, if you're going to do it well, you're going to have to stick at it. And if you stick at anything long enough, at some point, it's going to get hard. It may be hard because you finally start to realize you're tackling bigger and more challenging problems. It may be hard because you get bored with it. But the whole thing that really intrigued me in my career was learning about the journey to mastery and studying masters. And, you know, there's another great book is uh, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And you find, wow, people don't typically put 10,000 hours into anything, maybe breathing, but the journey to mastery is really tough and really rare. So when I was doing I Run, You Run, it was all about how do you develop people to mastery? How do you grow and, and develop expertise? And it was a simple concept. You tracked how consistently you did the same five or six key high payoff activities every week. And we would find that typically after about six weeks, people would start to peter out. And you think, okay, you could go back and say, are the goals still relevant? Yes. Are these still the things you should do to get there? Yes. Why'd you quit? I don't know. I'm busy. I got bored. Something else came up. And so ultimately, we started realizing in the business context, very few people survive the journey to mastery. And so we changed our focus. We started looking at who does hard things consistently for a living thousands of times. And it led us initially to professional athletes and thought, well, the, the one thing they have that I don't have is, you know, a 10 or a 50 or a hundred million dollar payday. But then as we worked our way through different sports, we found some sports don't really pay off, but they still have the same factors. They still have the same environment and uh, they live out those same principles. And so we eventually got to Olympians and then later soldiers and ultimately elite, elite like special forces guys. And it was a Navy SEAL who pointed it out. He said, I'll tell you how you do hard things for a living. Forget the BHAGs. You got to have a BHOW. And I knew a BHAG was a big, hairy, audacious goal. I'd read good to great, you know, and you hear that bannered around a little bit over the last 15, 20 years. And there's great studies of goal setting and everything. BHAGs really are great. But I'm like, I don't know what a BHOW is. And he goes, oh, that's okay. I made it up. It's a big, hilarious, outrageous why. And you got to know what you are willing to put your life on the line for when people start shooting at you. Or you'll turn around. It doesn't matter what the goal is. You'll quit. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. But nobody's trying to kill me. He said, if you want to accomplish anything that really matters, you got to figure that out. And it kind of set us down this path of trying to understand. So how do you do that if you're not a Navy SEAL? How do you do that if, you know, you're going to work and you're trying to sell insurance or you're in a staffing company and realize very, very few people had answers around that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it is the single strongest driver of your behavior yeah. is your own personal why. And almost nobody has one. Ah. It's remarkable. You know, very few people even have goals, let alone that rudder that they're willing to stick in the back of their ship, you know, and, and guide them your way through a storm. So, Andy, that's kind of the, the genesis of it. And as we came into our clients, and now I came into Jackson Healthcare, this is like one of the most important life lessons we could give any of our associates is help them figure out why they're here. Yeah, this is so important. And obviously, it started to gain a lot of publicity a few years ago when Simon Sinek came out with his famous TED Talk, uh, the 
Three Golden Circles, which I think is like the second most popular TED Talk of all time. Yep. Uh, so if you're one of the three people listening who hasn't watched that, you may want to go check it out and learn <laughs> right. about why you should find your why. And it's especially important in the, or, or popular in entrepreneurial circles. Still, to your point, you don't hear as many people, especially in corporate life, with a personal purpose. And this is really timely for me. And, and selfishly, I'll mention that I'm actually giving a keynote at a company event next Wednesday about this topic, nice. taking up of your career. And part of it is connecting to a purpose. So I'd definitely love to hear more of your point of view on that, especially coming into, you know, for someone who is not trying to change the world or, you know, fight for their life, they really are just selling insurance or they are working in IT or legal or HR at a big company and they're very happy there. How do they develop that sense of personal purpose? Yeah, well, one thing we've got to tell them is there is no just. Right, and I, no I heard just. myself say that and I was freaking out. No surprise, I'm yeah. sure. You know, you're, you're aware. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Uh, you can connect it to something that's really meaningful. So, you know, the classic examples of the janitors who are, you know, putting people on the moon or curing diseases. We got to take that to heart, uh, regardless of what our title says or our, our job, you know, matters. And so helping people understand how it matters is really important. But ultimately, it's helping them figure out how it matters to them. And, you know, as we started to kind of peel that onion, we found out that we could all agree, especially if you study some of the science, that we are wired differently. So you have some unique talents. And pick any bevy of assessments. Your results are going to be somehow a little different from mine. And then I would say, okay, so that informs something about your strengths, your strengths and talents suggest that maybe you could apply that to purpose. I would say another lens to look through is your life experience. So if by chance we had the exact same disc profile, if we were the same Enneagram number, if we had the same Myers-Briggs type, you still lived a different life. And then I think it's profound. You can even look at twin. I have twins. You can look at uh, siblings, neighbors, best friends and say, well, how you experienced that life was mm -hmm. still different from how I experienced mine. Yeah. And so learning that the things that we struggled with most marked us the most. The way we've been treated has more to do with what we believe than what we've learned in school or learned in a class. And so you've been treated uniquely from what I've been treated. And you've gone through some stuff that I haven't gone through. Yes. That gives you a superpower of influence. And I think for me, it, it gives a lot of people hope, especially who've been through really, really hard, tragic things, mm -hmm. is they are now a credible influence in the lives of a certain segment of the world who they otherwise would not be. And I cannot truly talk somebody through their divorce because I have not experienced that. Right. I haven't lost a sibling. I haven't been through, you know, certain things. However, I know what it's like to close a company. Mm. It sucks. Mm. And boy, if you really put your heart and soul into something and it didn't work, I can talk to you about how do you take away some lessons from that? How do you use yeah. that to propel you into the next thing? Because yeah. I've done that. I've been there. Yeah. And so anyway, your wiring, your experience, and then ultimately you've got some conscious choices. Uh, maybe some of them are unconscious, but you know, we have certain passions. Like we have a proactive thing that we want to do. And I think you put your little Venn diagram together and say, okay, how can I influence or help these people? based on the things that I have learned the hard way and the unique talents that I bring to the table. And I'll tell you, in an hour, you can craft that into some kind of sentence that then you continue to hone and you just keep rubbing that rock and smoothing it out. And it'll take you a year or two. But at some point, you're going to start to realize, wow, this is me. 
Mm. And then I just challenge you to say, okay, now how do you use that selling insurance? How do you use that staff and doctors? How do you use that in whatever your job is? This is so important. I'm really glad you brought this up and I don't hear enough about this. You know, we do hear a lot about DISC and Myers-Briggs. Enneagram has been getting really popular lately. I just had an expert on, Teresa McCloy, who talked about the Enneagram. And I certainly learned a lot from that. But you can definitely have people with different, with the same types, same strengths, but still very different personalities, very different views on life, very different mindsets because of their experience, because of how they grew up, because of how they were treated, because of their experience in other jobs or businesses, whatever it may be. I've seen that over and over again. I'm going through a really intense personal leadership development program now where I've seen how when people open up about their background of experience and they've gone through traumatic events, how that has shaped their view of life. And right. we don't credit, give enough credence to that in the corporate world. You just expect everybody shows up and they've got the same you know, type view of life. And it's, it's just not that way. And you also mentioned working with a Navy SEAL. I have a friend who is a former Navy SEAL officer who's been on the show a couple of times, Larry Yach. And uh, he talks about when you're putting a plan together and defining a desired end state for a team, the importance of defining that shared background of experience or gathering that shared background of experience because mm-hmm. you've got to go around and find out where everybody's coming from before you just set the goal and tell everybody to go. And right. uh, you're, you're honing in right on that. It's just, it's so important and people probably don't pay enough attention to it and certainly for themselves, let alone for other people. Yeah. Well, and, and then ultimately you got to connect it to the day-to-day. And I think that's where, okay, so now we need to learn how to have hard conversations or negotiate or use some advanced function in Excel. I mean, take the most rote thing that somebody needs to learn to be successful. And I'll say, okay, most of these things that are worthwhile, I'm going to need you to do it hundreds of times. It really isn't something you really own. You haven't climbed all the way up the learning ladder until you've done it so much that it's part of who you are. It's how you think. It's how you react. And you're going to need a reason why. Because at the end of the day, doing it for money, doing it because the boss wants you to, doing it because it sounds good, all those things will wear off in the first 50 attempts. Yeah, and I think that's becoming more important, at least as I talk to experts and people who've studied a lot, especially generations and how things are changing in the workforce. You look at the younger demographic, younger millennials plus Gen Z. Uh, you mentioned that where you work, healthcare is a, a top place to work for millennials. Yeah. That in general, everybody's different. So I always hate to generalize, but in general, you know, the studies show that the younger generation, the younger millennials and Gen Z, they want more connection to purpose. They want to know why they're being asked to do certain things. People don't just show up to work and say, well, they're paying me a salary. I'll do whatever they say. They don't want that anymore. They want there to be a purpose to the work they're doing, to know why they're doing things. And there's some type of benefit in the world beyond just making money. Do you see that as well? Sure. I I just think that they have taught us so much about ultimately how everybody works. Mm -hmm. I I don't tend to single them out either. We don't talk about millennials here. The fact that Fortune gave us that recognition is awesome and we appreciate it because we have so many young people. But yeah, we generally talk about people and we think people are wired for purpose. Some of them just don't know it yet. And when they start living on purpose, they'll start to realize like, wow, there's something more rewarding about it. So if you say that a younger person wants more purpose in their work, I would say, find me an older person who doesn't. Mm, Yes, I've heard that. You know, find me a group of people that say, just tell me what to do and do not tell me why. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if it's hard. You know, if it's hard, everybody wants to know why. Yeah. And what I commend, I think, 
younger people for doing is saying, you've got to have a more compelling reason or I need to go someplace that does or that's yeah. willing to talk about it. Yeah. And I think the real challenge though is that as we look in the mirror, there are a lot of people whose real reason is for themselves. Mm. And I think at some level, maybe we all are, maybe that's part of the purpose-driven wiring. Like, you know, it is selfish to do awesome things for other people that makes you feel good because it makes you feel yeah. good. But yeah. you find out that somebody says they're others oriented and then they bring it all back to them. Oh, yes. That hypocrisy is so, you know, it's sniffed out in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And uh, good luck building a sustainable team, let alone a culture around that. Our president of our company says, boy, if you aren't really, really living and really wired for your values, do not talk about them. Mm. Because, I mean, they'll be burning down your gates in a heartbeat. And want, more and more people want authentic leadership, I think, 2019 and beyond. It's becoming more important because you're going to be found out for what you are. And I've give, I gave a talk a couple weeks ago about you know, preparing for your next career change and the importance of developing a personal and professional brand. And part yeah. of that is knowing your values and your purpose, I think, and what you put out there. But it's not just what you put out there. It's what people perceive of you. And so it needs to be in alignment with who you really are. Otherwise, you're going to be found out and bad things are going to happen. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you can't change. Right. You know, I think there's some hope there. But if you start doing personal branding without doing the audit, good luck because we all have these blind spots and you've yeah. got to find people who you love and trust who are willing to speak into your life or give them a very, very anonymous opportunity, even if they don't trust you. Uh, and sometimes it's hard to tell, but give yeah. them an anonymous opportunity to say, you know, what are the three things that come to mind when you see my name? Mm. Uh, what are the, you know, basically what's my brand? And then you got to wrestle with that because some of it's going to come back, probably not going to be what you want to see, but you can do something with it you can start to become more intentional and you might yeah. find out, wow, I need some emotional intelligence training. Uh, I need to actually work on something. Well, we don't figure out what that is until we get that feedback. Going back to our original discussion around, you know, we often are not aware of our strengths and weaknesses until we get that feedback from other people. So it's important to get that. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is brought to you by Advantage Performance Group. We help organizations develop great people. For more information about this podcast and Advantage Performance, you can go to advantageperformance.com slash hot seat. And now on to the show. I'd want to definitely get back to the purpose thing because I think that's so important and connecting the purpose, the why. What can you do in the corporate space to help facilitate that, to help people sure. connect to their purpose and, and show them that that really is an important part of the, the work or, or working there. Yeah, one of the things you can do is kind of pull it apart and take little pieces of it. Now we do both. So when new hires come into our company and they come to new hire orientation, one of the things that we know we need to teach them about is the culture. And in our culture is the summation of our values and beliefs and how we live those things out. But we also share with them some pretty profound research that's now about, I think it's about 10 years old. You may be familiar with this, Andy, the study of commitment to your job based on whether you know your values or the company's values. And so you get this little two by two matrix and you find out, wow, commitment to work goes up almost 30% when people get clear on their own values. And ironically, crazy thing, it, commitment to the job actually goes down if they learn the company's values, but they aren't clear on their own. Hmm. So that was a profound aha for us. And we said, wow, we've got to spend time right on the front end of somebody's career with us, not just talking about what our values are, 
but making sure they dig in and get clear on their values. And you can do a values assessment either online or in a classroom workshop by just writing 50 words on a page and say, circle the 10 that mean the most to you. Now cut that list in half and share that with your neighbor. And I mean, literally 10 minutes, you can have somebody get an epiphany and then just challenge them on the back end. Say, okay, what are you going to start, stop, or continue doing now that you have clarity on the five core values that, that you think mean the most to who you are? That is one of the inputs to purpose, but it's one probably that's the quickest and easiest and has the most, I guess, studied and quantifiable impact. So that's one thing we do. The second thing we do, and you know, I suppose it's a little bit out there for me, maybe it doesn't fit everyone's culture, but because we think it's super important is we embraced, created a, a full day class on this. And uh, I'll tell you about it. A third of the class is actually practicing telling other people what your purpose is. You know, you do an assessment, you come in, you spend the morning, you're doing your lifeline, you're looking back, you're digging into your past. If this is not your culture, beware, because some people are going to start to get emotional. I think that's great. I would wish we had more people get more emotional at work because we're mm -hmm. real. And then in the afternoon, you're like, all right, now take these words and we go round robin and you basically speed date each other over and over and over again. And I'd say, Andy, you know, here's what I think my purpose is. Mm -hmm. and, and I see how it hits you and you tell me, that sounded good, you know, thank you for sharing it with me, but it was kind of clunky in the second part. And I don't even know what that meant. And you go back and you wordsmith a little bit and then you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. And anyway, that's just something we find people don't take the time to do if you don't facilitate that for them. No, definitely not. And I want to dig in a little bit more to the details of that because again, like I think that's something that a lot of companies could help facilitate. I've been a part of those things done that work for myself. I'm continuing to do that. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in the presentation I'm giving next week, but there's only so much time to dig into that as a teaser. And I almost, I want to give people a little bit of direction of, okay, what else can I go do? So talk me through a little bit more of the details on that. You're starting with helping people start to understand the concept of purpose and values and what their purpose might be, and then put a draft down of some things and mm -hmm. then go out and talk to different people about it and get feedback and iterate on that until you you have what you think is actually your purpose or values. Well, one subtle tweak there. Uh, yeah. We don't have them go out. Oh, sorry. Um, yes, we'll stay in. <laughs> stay in where it's safe, you know, and say, yeah. this is going to be really weird, okay? You're going to feel weird. It's going to be clumsy. You're going to be self-conscious, but you're going to hear me be weird and clumsy mm -hmm. and self-conscious. And so, okay, so I found that building and constructing and creating systems and stuff, somehow that's part of how I'm wired. Hmm. I'm trying to figure out how to put that in this sentence. And they might say, oh, so you like helping people like build lives of significance and purpose. And they're like, oh, I guess I just used the word build. You know, little yeah. things. That, but if it never actually crosses the pen and you don't write it down or it never crosses your lips and you don't actually do this eyeball to eyeball with a human being, you know, it's like so much training. It just goes on the shelf. And you think, wow, that was pretty cool. I should go back to that someday. But it's back to the inbox, it's back to the grind, it's back to the next meeting. So we think it's really important while we've got you there, while you're starting to get in touch with your uniqueness, you got to practice trying to use it, say it. And then, of course, the end, you got to help them really think about, okay, now, how am I going to work this into my calendar? What is at least one thing I'm going to start to do differently to actually be more of this person? I like that. That's really cool. And something that I think a lot of people can go and, and start to do right away, depending on whether they have the culture that would support something like that and, and something I may want to do as well. I'm going to get to a few of my standard questions. Sure. Um, Travis, what's been your proudest moment in your career so far, the thing that you're proudest of? 
Wow. I think there's something here just in the last 18 months in this new role coming into learning and development. It was seeing like, wow, this leadership program we're doing is so profound. If we all use it, if we all speak the same language, if we actually apply it, and yet we were putting a very small percentage of our leaders through it. And so I think it literally took one conversation with our president. And I said, I think this is something that everybody needs to go through. It will be exponentially more powerful if all of our managers and their bosses and their bosses' bosses have all been through it. And he said, okay, figure out how to do it and do it. And so, you know, we had to scale back on some things we were doing and we had to ask our team to stretch themselves. And now I think they're wondering if they're ever going to get to go back to life as normal because, you know, we like tripled the capacity of this program so that we could put everyone through. But I'm seeing a difference. I'm seeing relationships. We come into a meeting and if people have been through the, we, we joke, there's a, there's a handshake at the beginning and there's a hug at the end. And then after that, it's all hugs. So people it. hug in the elevator, in the lobby, they walk into meetings and like, oh, you're, you know, one of your graduates there, boom, it's hug. And you shake hands with the people who you haven't done the program with yet. And so it's been a huge like reinforcement. I won't say it's changed our culture. It's just really reinforced the culture. So at least of recent, that would be it. Yeah. I love that. And I'm going to have to come visit there one day because I've done the values exercise. Love is my number one value and I am definitely a hugger. (laughs) So if you're coming to our conference, by the way, don't plan on shaking my hand. We're going to hug. Okay. So we did proudest moment. I think that's something to be very proud of. What's been your biggest mistake or failure in your career? What did you learn from it? Yeah, man, it's tough sorting through that list. You know, there's a failure every day. Mm. And there've been some big ones that you just think, "Ah, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want anybody to know. But anyway, that's what we learned from though. You're absolutely right. You know, and I think part of that is a big mindset thing. That's really important for people to get over that hump and embrace Mm. and talk about. Yeah, Uh, First of all, it makes you more authentic, makes you more likable. You have more influence. If you say, I'm not perfect. I screw Mm. up all the time, Mm. but you got to mean it. And so one of the ones that I felt like I let down an entire company was a couple of companies ago. Um, I really felt like we were tanking the culture. And yet, honestly, I was probably afraid to talk to our CEO about it. And when it came to getting the courage to do so, I still just, I didn't go all in. You know, I got somebody else to talk about it. I found an expert for him to talk to. I thought that would do the trick, you know, got a world-renowned person to agree to have lunch with us. And he really laid it on and said, you know, you've got to put your people before profits if you ever want to be profitable and your employees come before your customers even, which is a radical concept. And he said, that's great. We'll start doing that when we start making some money. Mm. And, oh, I didn't double down. And I still protect, I still held on to my job because I wanted to take care of my family and I needed the income, or at least that's what I thought. And so one of my affirmations now every single day is I'm trying to live my life with my hands open. I do not own this job. I don't own my income. None of the stuff that I'm learning is mine. Just keep giving it away. And man, I think when you start to really hold on to something tight, you're going to lose influence. You're going to let people down. Every single person to the person quit that company in the next three years, including me. And it didn't have to happen. And that is powerful. That's really powerful. And it's such a great lesson. And, you know, so important. And you have that mindset that you don't own anything. You're willing to give stuff away. I just heard this story the other day about Frank Sinatra giving away some cufflinks. Have you ever heard that story? And a great quote that is very closely related to this where he was getting out of a car and and this woman walked up and 
was talking about her husband being sick and wished that he could be there and, and that he she loved his cufflinks and Frank Sinatra supposedly just took these cufflinks off and gave it to her to give these to your husband. And his wow. friend said, well, why would you just give those away? And apparently Sinatra said something like to the effect of, if you are not willing to give any of your possessions away, then they truly own you. And yeah. you need to be willing to give everything away and not worry about that, you know, the possessions anyway. And then if you can't, then they own you. And obviously you can't just give your car away to somebody on the street, but you know, that also means that that car owns you if, if you're not willing to just give it up. You know, it's funny, Andy, um, I'm now a coordinator for Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University program. Okay. Yeah. And I would say, man, give that car away. Like that's going to be the greatest thing you ever did. It'll shake yeah. your life if you could see somebody in need and get yourself into a position which won't happen overnight. But, you know, yeah. get yourself to that point where, you know what, five years from now, 10 years from now, I want to be able to say, you need this more than I do. Here's the keys, you know, yeah. like radical. And yeah. you're going to wreck some people. And I think that's one of the things that I've seen our leaders do here. Our president, Shane, he took his family uh, to build a home for a family down in Costa Rica over Christmas. And he's like, this changed us. And you need to experience this. So he took our whole leadership team to Tijuana, Mexico to build a home for a family. Hmm. And I got the chance to give them the keys. And by the way, over dinner, we found out they had like 10 years of payments left on their land but it amounted to less than $700. And hmm. so that night we all pitched in, we bought their land for them and we gave them the keys. We said, you also owned your land. Nobody will ever take this from you and you can't ever repay us ever. You know, hmm. just accepting it is payment. Like letting us come and do this is yeah. such a payment enough. Yeah. But it kind of, I mean, it, it's just amazing. It just wrecks you to be able to give away things. And anyway, I think ultimately leaders will find that makes them a lot more, attractive. Yes. And if you're authentic about all those things and I love it. So great lessons from the failure. We have a little bit of time left. What is a trend that you're following in learning and development or, you know, the future of work or what's affecting the way people work these days? Okay. Here's a two week old trend. Cause I want this to live. I just, I don't know if I believe it will, but I've heard multiple people in the last two weeks, two different speaker and then an executive coach I met with hmm. say, okay, we all know everybody's too overwhelmed. Yeah. Everybody's too busy. Right. It's chronic and it's killing learning and it's killing development. You got to slow down. So when you design something, put half as much content in twice as much time, triple the amount of application, you know, exponentially get people talking more. And we know those are truths for how people learn is apply and experience it and try things on. But that's one that, you know, I heard him talking about it and saying that that's the essence of how he develops leadership programs now is it's stripping out most of the content and doing a few things. And the way he did it with us is he took us one little micro step at a time and he'd stop and he'd say, what are you thinking? Write it down. And then he would give, he'd reveal one more little thing and he'd say, stop, what are you thinking? Write it down. And then if we unpacked what we were thinking, he basically took a five minute exercise and blew it out over like 30 or 40 minutes. Mm. Wow, we connected on a deep level about who we were as people, about how frazzled we were. You know, it's like some of us were writing, please go faster. Right. Some of us had all these different ideas. And so anyway, um, then met with somebody else and they're saying, we, she just published an article called The Overwhelmed Leading the Overwhelmed. Mm. So what I hope a new trend is, is maybe we're learning that this is, uh, we're on an unsustainable pace. If we care about learning, if we care about development, we got to slow down. We got to take little pieces and help people really get them all the way in into their lives, into their work. 
Uh, I love that. So important on a couple of different levels. I mean, I'm a little biased because I've definitely experienced that a lot. You know, I, as part of my business, I sell and run training and development for a living. I have a lot of different programs and yeah, I can't tell you the number of times I've, you know, someone's asked me about this day long program we offer and said, Oh, this looks really great. Can you do it in two hours? Or right. we have one hour for you to fit all this in. And I'm like, uh, I guess I could just pull out the key learning points, but like, it's not going to be very effective because you're going to have time to sit and actually experience it and write down the takeaways and all that sort of stuff. And the other thing that made me think of is, you know, I hear this a lot too, people coming around to this, that, you know, you get your best ideas often. The reason why people get their best ideas in the shower or while they're driving to work is because there's no other distractions often where you're just like thinking and people don't really make much time or space to just sit and think or read or learn yeah, because um, we're always like running around and reacting to things all the time, and that's why I get up early every morning and spend you know a couple hours of quiet time reading and writing, and I come up with my best ideas during that time that drive the rest of my business day and all the things that I accomplish. But I can't do that if I'm just constantly reacting to things, which is what most people are doing. Yeah, and there's some good news. I think there's a silver lining to that. I mean, there's plenty of studies that show it doesn't take a lot of margin. Right. It doesn't take a lot of time. It just takes some, and so. That could be two minutes of quiet time. If you'd shut your door and just get totally silent, you know, maybe it's two minutes of a breathing exercise or you meditate for a minute or something. But, you know, I think people sometimes think, oh, I'm so compressed. I, there's no way I have time. You're like, okay, how about you came in five minutes early? It'll change your life. Mm-hmm. How about, at, you know, twice during the day, you got to do two minute timeout before you run from this meeting to that meeting. Literally, I mean, literally go to the restroom. No one will know the difference. Right. Go in the restroom, close your eyes, and breathe. But yeah, Greg McEwen, who wrote Essentialism, you know, yeah. he kind of talks about margin is the secret to a joyful life. No margin, no joy. Mm. No margin, probably no great ideas. Margin's huge, and we just don't have it, and uh, we got to fight for it. I love that. And Essentialism by Greg McEwen, another really popular book. And I was lucky enough to see him speak in San Francisco when he first came out with that book many years ago. And ever since then, I have been committed to trying to never use the B word, busy, when people ask, how are you? Busy. Everybody says that. So it's been about six years, I think, since I've eliminated that from my response. And I like it. Get creative with other things. Travis, this has been Awesome. I usually ask my guests for a book recommendation. You've already given three, but I'll allow you if you have one more that you feel really excited about to uh, to throw that out there as well. Well, thank you, Andy. I got to throw out one more, especially if you're a business leader. If you haven't read The Loyalty Effect by Fred Reichelb, hmm. especially if you're a strong analytical or you're a CFO or you're somebody who's counting it, counting the beans, you've got to understand the economics of the favor of people. And you don't need every customer. You don't need every employee. You don't need every investor. You got to figure out what draws those people together. And man, it's wildly profitable. And it's a lot more fun if you draw groups of people together who want to be there. Sounds like a good book. I haven't read that one. Looking forward to checking out. Travis, this has been awesome. You are a rock star. If I ever wanted to work somewhere, I would definitely check out Jackson Healthcare because it sounds like you've got a great culture there. Um, For anybody listening who wants to get in touch with you and and maybe learn more about what you're doing or just be in contact, what's the best way for them to do that? I'd say LinkedIn, come see me. I'd be happy to connect with you. If you're in Atlanta, you know, look me up. We're up in Alpharetta on the north side of Atlanta. And I try to make a plug shamelessly every time I get to speak. If you're a mission-driven, values-oriented person, just come work here. And then you can pop by my office anytime you want. 
<laughs> I love it. There you go. Easy enough. All right. Thank you very much, Travis. This has been awesome. So if you're listening, connect with Travis on LinkedIn. If you're not connected with me or following me on LinkedIn, make sure you do that. We're both posting content pretty regularly. I saw you, Travis, you posted earlier today. So thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been amazing and I uh, hope you have an awesome day. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. Cheers. Hey friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am always grateful for everyone who tunes in, who listens, who subscribes, and who have left reviews for our podcast on iTunes. By the way, if you haven't done that yet, it would mean the world to me. Head on over to iTunes, take one minute, write a quick review. It helps our podcast grow, and I really appreciate your support. As my gift to you, I have created a report of the top five trends impacting talent development this year. And if you haven't grabbed that report yet, you can head on over to advantageperformance.com slash trends. That's advantageperformance.com slash trends. You can download my report of the top five trends impacting talent development in 2019, as well as sign up for our newsletter to get updates on everything that is going on. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you got value out of this show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share with your colleagues and friends. We want to spread the word and add as much value to the talent development community as possible, and we need your help. As always, you can find more information and connect with me at talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Take care.